Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Mona Van, to our show today. Mona is a wellness expert and pharmacist turned entrepreneur who is passionate about making the world a healthier place. After studying for six years to become a pharmacist, Mona learned on the first day of her job that she was in the completely wrong career. While medication and supplements can be part of the equation for leading a healthy life, Mona believes that food is key for taking a more holistic approach to wellness. She spent many nights and weekends sharing her health and wellness advice with the world through online content and has been featured in many reputable publications. Once she began to grow a following from naturally sharing her passions, Mona decided it was time to make the career shift she always dreamed of and go all into her personal brand and wellness empire. Between Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, she has built a community of over a million subscribers. On today's episode, we talked to Mona on a variety of topics, and some of the highlights include how she built her content business as a side hustle for years while she was a pharmacist, how to tackle perfectionism, something we all deal with in our everyday lives and making sure it's not holding you back from your goals and dreams, the importance of setting boundaries in your daily schedule to avoid hitting burnout, and a behind the scenes look at everything that goes into producing content on multiple platforms. We also start off the interview by talking about the beautiful aspects of our Persian background and culture and how it's influenced us as well as the incredibly unfortunate situation in Iran right now where women and men are sacrificing their lives on a daily basis for the most basic of human rights. If you're looking for ways to help create awareness and get involved, I've included a few links in the show notes as well. Welcome to the show, Mona. Thank you for having me. So before we go into your inspiring story, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the incredible women of Iran who are fighting for their lives and their freedom. Sorry, getting a little choked up. For any of our listeners who are not aware of what's happening there, I encourage you to follow Mona's account. Sorry, I'm like, why am I, I don't know why I'm like tearing up. I'll have to edit that section, but maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's real, right? Uh-huh. But I really, honestly, any listeners who are not aware of what's going on, I truly encourage you to follow Mona's account. And we'll be sharing a lot more ways of how you can get involved and create awareness in a few links we'll include in our show notes. And again, thank you, Mona, for just really using your platform to create awareness. You are doing just a phenomenal job. So I just wanted to thank you again for that. I mean, it's my honor and I feel like responsibility to lend my platform right now to the people of Iran when they have really nothing and no outlet and no way to communicate with the world. So, you know, I just feel like it's our human duty I know. It's like the least we can do here, right? With our yes. internet and everything still accessible. Exactly. But, you know, with all the sadness in the news, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to highlight maybe some of the beautiful things about our Persian culture. I'd love for you to share more with the listeners about how being Persian and the culture has really shaped the woman that you are today. Oh, gosh, in so many ways, right? I didn't grow up in Iran. My parents came from Iran 
really just to get their education. And then when the revolution happened, they were like, we're not going back. So I ended up, you know, growing up here. And my parents divorced when I was really young. So I lived with my mom and my dad and brother lived in L.A. So I didn't grow up with like all my Persian family and everything. But even just having that with my mom or with my dad, you don't realize how much of it really is instilled in you. One thing I always try to tell my non-Iranian friends is our language is so affectionate. Just, you know, the the words that we use, like John M, like is a common thing. It's saying like, if you say like Mona, you'd be like, yes, my dear. Like, yes, my love. Like you say this to your friends. I love that men even say it to each other and there's no like masculinity issues there. So I think the whole just loving and affectionate aspect of it has really been ingrained in me. Caring so much about family has been a huge thing. Of course, education was a huge, which I don't know is necessarily a good or bad thing, but it definitely made me value education very much because that's a huge part of Persian culture. I love fruits and vegetables. (laughs) Couldn't go one night without a big fruit plate that my mom made me. So there's just so many things with Persian culture. And and those habits from when you're young really just stick with you. And I think if I can humbly share that Iranian women have so much elegance and grace and class. And I think it's just in this way you carry yourself where I feel like, which is ironic right now, how much we own our femininity and it has so much power, right? There's something, I just love how Iranian women, they kind of have this cute femininity, but it's so powerful. It's so strong, like it's so respected. And I think, of course, it's ironic as they're just fighting to be considered equal to a man right now. But those are some things that I guess have shaped me. No, so beautiful. And yeah, it is interesting just even looking at my grandmother. And obviously, Iran was so different, right? With our grandparents' generation, it was so westernized, so open-minded. And her and her four sisters, they're just the strongest individuals. And they're just such a force Mm -hmm. that it's like incredible, right? Just kind of going back to what you're saying, just Iranian women are so strong. So it is ironic to just kind of see what's playing out right now, because like fundamentally, I feel like it's in our genes of just being strong. (laughs) Yes, I agree. I see what my mom's done for me even growing up where I'm like, she will wake up at 4 a.m., pack the car and like move me out of college. Like she's just strong. It's cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, one thing you alluded to was the importance of education. And I'm laughing because clearly, you know, any immigrant family, just something that they really want for their children because they came here for better opportunities and whatnot. But they also have a quote unquote narrow view of success, even though it's coming from a good place, right? But Mm -hmm. it's so tough. So tell me more about what were the expectations of your parents? What did they have on you and really your career growing up? I think from the time I was five, it was like, I'm going to be a pediatrician. I remember writing that in my sixth grade. You know, you have like, once you graduate elementary school, like, what are you going to be your career goals? And it's like doctor, lawyer, engineer. That's the biggest inside joke with all Iranians because that's that's just what's the most respected and the most – I mean, I think if you're even a nurse, I think they call you doctor in Farsi. You know, they say it doesn't, you don't actually have to be an MD. So it's just very respected. So that was just what I thought was the end all. There was no other option. And I've shared this before. I remember wanting to be a news anchor when I was in high school. And my parents were like, oh, you're never going to get a job doing that. You can't go major in communications. That was like a just very not smart degree to invest in. It's a waste of money. So I went into pharmacy and I think I didn't even know what I wanted to do, but I think it was just, this is going to be a great job for women. You're going to graduate and automatically make 120000 a year. It's a good job market. So 
that's what I went into and I liked science, but I wouldn't say it was like my passion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting because I know your parents told you, you know, no one does what they love. They just do it for money. I Mm -hmm. think like that was ingrained in my mind. And similar to you, I kind of went down the world of finance and I made a ton of money and my dad was so proud. And I'm like, I'm miserable. Even though I'm making so much money, is this life? Uh You start questioning the purpose of everything, right? But your parents are are just so happy that you've kind of made it for yourself. And I know in pharmacy, right, you start with like a great salary. And I know you also had loans at the time, right? So was that even attractive for you then? You know, I mean, you start with this great salary for a 24-year-old. I mean, for anyone, that's a great salary. But one thing I didn't like about it was that there wasn't much room for growth there. And then also with my student loans, I might as well have been making 40000 a year. I, I was spending all my money on student loans. And I remember the first day, I just had this fear of like, I can't do this my whole life. But I I wouldn't say day one, I was like, what am I going to do? It was more like, maybe maybe retail isn't for me. Maybe I can find another. Never in my right mind would I have thought I'm going to shift careers at that point. And when I would complain about it to my parents, they were like, what do you mean you should be so proud? This is such a respectful career. You've worked hard. You should hold your head high. And I did find myself, I mean, it was interesting because I was in the right in like the heart of West Hollywood culture, and all of my friends were in such creative, whether they were on reality TV or acting or modeling. And I found, which this isn't right, I found myself embarrassed or ashamed to talk about my job because I felt like it wasn't cool. So it actually went in a direction that also wasn't healthy, but it was when I would talk to them about that, they would be like, You should be so proud. Then it got to a point where I was like, I just want to actually enjoy what I'm doing because I see all these people waking up doing these creative things, having project-based work, which I've always been attracted to because I like that it's always constantly shifting. And that's when I was just like, I had to follow my own path. Yeah, it's interesting because similar to you, you know, I moved back to LA. I was in New York for a bit when I was in finance. And you, you come here and you're like, what does everybody do? Does anybody work, right? They're chilling. They're like air one at the beach, hiking. I'm like, am I just yep. the only one doing a, like a corporate job over here, right? That's how I felt. They were like, want to go to the beach tomorrow? I'm like, it's Tuesday. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. But what's interesting about being in a place like this, and it seems like your journey was similar, you get exposed to so many different paths and so many different ways of making money, which is also why I'm very passionate about this podcast. I do it for fun, but I think it's important to showcase stories because sometimes growing up, you don't get exposed to what's possible, right? I mean, and how do you make money on your passions, which we'll get into in a little bit. So I just love your journey and your open-mindedness of being here in in LA. So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned you had these high student loans. You were trying to figure out what your place was in pharmacy. I know you hopped around a little bit with certain jobs, but really who planted the seed that you really could make a career out of content and media? When I realized I wanted to shift careers, I was like, which direction do I want to go in? What am I naturally drawn to? And, you know, I would say luckily enough, but I think there's no accidents. I think the universe puts whatever's meant to be in front of you in front of you. One of my first friends in L.A. was a news anchor. And that's exactly what I wanted to do because I liked television. And then when she learned that I was a pharmacist, she was like, oh, my God, you're so cute. You should come on and be the expert. We have doctor experts all the time. Like, you should be the expert that comes on during flu season. So then I was like, could this be a career in itself? You know, my wheels started spinning. But it was honestly Dr. Oz because that was the era of Dr. Oz where he was really big. I mean, I don't think my mom finished a sentence without, like, Dr. Oz says you should eat. 
cranberries. And I was like, could I be like a younger, more modern version of Dr. Oz? That would be my dream career because I wouldn't be wasting my degree and I could also do the thing I love. So that was my actual initial goal. And as I started trying to build that with hosting classes, with everything I was doing in LA, social media just got you know on the rise and beauty blogging became a thing. And then I was like, wait, this could be a thing in itself. And that's how it shifted. I know you mentioned a news anchor. And I think, was there somebody else? I forgot her name. She's a talent scout. Like you had paid to meet her. Can you share that story? Yes. So Marky Costello. So basically, first I was like, okay, I want to be, I want to be a TV expert or I want to be a consultant. I didn't really know at that point. And a friend of mine recommended Marky Costello. And she was like, she's going to help you figure out what your brand is. And when I tell you, I had never heard that term, which now is just second nature to everyone. So I was like, what is a brand? This was in 2012 or 11. So I called Marky Costello's studio and I was like, I want a meeting with her. And they were like, well, you have to take her boot camp. She won't take a meeting with anyone without taking her boot camp. So this was like an all day thing, a $500 thing you had to do, which was terrifying for me because you had to get up and read in front of a teleprompter. And I was like, this isn't even what I'm trying to do. I just want to have a meeting with this woman. Did the boot camp, got my meeting for like six weeks later, sat down and told her what I wanted to do. And that was the moment I remember where she, she was the first person I hadn't shared it with anyone else, but because I respected her, she had this moment where she really believed in me. And she was like, if you really put your all into this, I really believe in you. This could be so successful. And my eyes welled up in the meeting. And she was like, are you getting emotional? And I was like, yes, because I finally knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. Like I was so sure it's just this feeling. So then I started getting into hosting classes. She was like, I want you to come every week to my hosting classes. I want to teach you how to talk on camera. You need to learn this for what you want to do. And that's what I started doing. And little did I know social media would be me talking to my phone. I thought I was training to be on TV, but it ended up working out. Hey, everyone. It's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen 
and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And it's always so interesting how you meet certain people in your life. And especially when you're switching careers. I mean, I've been in a similar position where I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I was on the path. Didn't share it with my family also because I was like, my dad's going to think I'm completely crazy wanting to leave. So I was like behind the scenes doing everything. And I remember reaching out to, it was actually this Persian investor. He's in Silicon Valley. I reached out to him in LinkedIn. I don't think I've ever shared the story on the podcast, but I lied and I was like, hey, I'm going to be in SF. I'm in LA, so it's not too far. This week, if you have time for coffee, I'd love to just pick your brains for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. He was like, yeah, Friday. I got on a plane, went up there, met with him. And those 30 minutes of just this guy being in the space of tech, validating me leaving banking to be in the startup world, which is what I want to do was just so amazing. After that meeting, I just quit and that was it, right? Like, wow. so just meeting people you respect who really see you for who you are yeah. is just so important. And I try to be like that with anyone who's like wanting to take a risk or take a leap because you just having that faith from somebody else that you kind of look up to is literally life-changing. So. It, it, you should share that story more because I think for even for people to see the hustle of you get on a plane and it's worth the money, it's worth your time, that moment right there, you have to take those moments. And I always, as I've gotten more spiritual these days, you know, you learn that like all the validation you need is within yourself, but it's really hard to actually get there. If you're not yeah. there, which many of us are, and I even, that moment with Marky really was my pushing moment. But if anyone can get there on their own, you don't yeah. need anyone else's validation, but it really helps. That's true. Yeah. That's like the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate sure. goal. But yeah. we are human and we're not all there, <laughs> including <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's interesting also about your journey is you were mentioning that social media was up and coming, but I'd love to hear about really how your brand kind of pivoted because I know you partnered up with somebody who had a different strategy for yourself. So share more about that because I actually think there's a lot of learnings that our listeners can take from your really first experience into tapping into this personal brand that you wanted to build. Yeah. So when I, after I met with Marky and I had my whole concept down, I built a website, started building it. 
reached out to a friend. We weren't close, close friends, but he was this guy that I knew in LA. He was older than me, very successful. I respected him a lot and looked up to him. And I was so young then that I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is so successful. Like, let me get his advice on what I'm doing. And you know, when you're young and inexperienced, you think anyone successful can give you advice on anything because, oh, they're rich. They must know everything. So I sent him my website and he sent it to his marketing guy, who actually now is one of my best friends. Oh, worked amazing. out. Yeah. And he was like, my team loves your stuff. Like, we'd like to talk about investing. And that was just something I never expected. So we got into these conversations and he wanted to invest in my brand. Now, someone investing in your personal brand really doesn't make sense of someone owning your personal brand, especially that young of an age. And I had people advising me against it, but I did not care. I was so unhappy at the pharmacy. And I think this is a lesson where you can't come from a place of desperation because you're going to make the wrong decision. All I heard was that he said, I'll match your salary and benefits. We can build this website together. He was going to own more than half of my brand. I gave it up. I was like, okay, I just want to match my salary and benefits from the pharmacy and not have to go into a Rite Aid every day. That's all I heard. So I literally signed this contract, which is insane. We spend a year Of course, it was on his timeline because at that point, I wasn't in control. It's the most important thing to me. It's all I care about. But to him, he's got a million things. I'm just like one investment in his busy day. So it not only delayed me an entire year of like rebuilding this whole website, and I also laugh because I just had this image of me launching my website and everything coming. Okay, Like, okay, my website's here. (laughs) Now what happens? (laughs) Where's the business? Nothing happened. And it was Pretty much within three to four weeks after launching where I realized this wasn't the right partnership and I was like, oh my God, how do I get out of this? Luckily, I mean, I think he's a good person because he just gave it back to we. It ended up getting a little bit, you know, it was a little bit uncomfortable for a minute, but then I had a talk with him and he was like, look, I don't want it. It's fine. Take it back. So I got it all back, thank God. And then I just did it the right way, which is just building from the ground up. I think I just had this promise that it was going to be this huge thing. And if something's, nothing's going to happen overnight, it's not going to be that easy. It's going to take time and work. So don't let anyone fool you into that. Yeah, no, 100%. And I'm laughing because we had Pyle, the founder of ClassPass here, and she had a very similar story. She's like, I spent, I raised all this money. I was on the cover of all these tech magazines. I got into like a top incubator. We spent like 500000 on our website. We launched crickets, like not one person. And you know, and I think that's important to talk about because sometimes we spend so much time behind the scenes. And even if you have the best product, you have to market, like you have to put in the time and build community and market, especially in our day and age. So, oh my God. But let me just tell you, he was so old school about it. So he had, he had a production company and he had done some things, but he had no idea what was going on currently. I remember him saying, don't say a peep about it until we launch. And he convinced me that I had to be this big surprise, which we now know is the absolute opposite advice you should be getting. You need to build it and build it, grow an audience. So yeah, not everyone who's successful has the right advice for what you're doing. It's all contextual. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, and I'm curious at the time, I know it didn't really get any traction. Did that kind of question the path that you were on or you just knew it wasn't the right fit and you're going to just try the social media thing? I didn't make me question it at all. There was one part I left out too was as we were building the brand, there was just so many things we disagreed on. Even like me sitting right here in this tube dress, that's very me. And I think 
perfectly fine. They wanted to put me in button downs and lab coats and blazers and like, look, just things that aren't me. And I kept yeah. being like, and I and you can feel it. Like when I don't, when you don't like what you're wearing and you don't feel like yourself, my content was horrible. I wish I could show you guys. I don't have it anymore. It's all off the internet now. <laughs> I mean, as soon as we launched, I actually had a friend of mine who his social media all of a sudden just grew so fast. And I asked him what he was doing. And Instagram was still newer then. And he was like, oh, I worked with this marketing company who helped me. So I had a meeting with them, just like low-key on my own. And I was like, here's my situation. And they were like, you need to be on social. And I was basically like, these are the guys I should be working with. This is the path I need to be on. And I knew I was just doing it wrong. So it was more just pivoting into a different direction, not questioning what I was doing. Yeah. And at this time in your life, so I know you left pharmacy because that first partnership, he was giving you benefits and you was paying you a salary, but you had to make money again, right? What's funny is he didn't even hold up that end of the bargain. Oh, no. It's interesting. I did. And we did end up getting a sponsorship for my website, which paid my salary for like a year. So I ended up, yes, leaving the pharmacy for a year. But then when we ended that partnership, yes, I ran out of money because I wasn't working and I had to go back to the pharmacy. So you're like, oh, my God, I've made it. It's so funny and naive. You think you've made it because I I remember when I created the LLC, I thought I made it just because you don't know what you're doing then. So at that point, I had to go back to the pharmacy, which was very humbling and also very hard. I remember talking to my brother about it and I was like, I I was crying. I don't want to go back. Like, I hated it so much. But- I had to. I had to work and pay my bills and then I had to start over again. That's tough. I always say like once you get out and you see this other world, it's so hard to go back. Like I'm like, even for a billion dollars, if someone was like, go back into banking, you know, there's nothing wrong with the career. Just wasn't the right fit for me. I'm like, I wouldn't take it. It's like, so I can't imagine you going back to this career that you you didn't even like from day one. So I can't even imagine what you were going through. And like you were saying early in the interview, so much of building a brand and a business, which is tied to your brand, is just putting in the work, right? So you were hustling with this job. And for three years, you were killing yourself to make something of yourself on social and all the different platforms. Tell me more about that and really how you stayed motivated. Because I think a lot of people also assume they post on social once a week that the community is going to come. I know. But it's a grind, right, for a long time before you see any kind of awareness. So tell me more about your journey around that time in your life. Yeah, it's a grind. Honestly, people have asked, like, how did you work so hard? Because working in the pharmacy all day and then I would drive across town to these classes and work on everything. But honestly, it was thrilling. I guess when people say the climb is the important part and it's really the journey and it's not about the result, that was truly an experience of it being the actual journey because I wanted to do it. I was never like, ugh, I don't want to work on this. It was like, ugh, I don't want to go to work. I hated going to work, but I loved working on it. And I was just, I mean, even at the farm, I was not the best employee because all I was thinking about was I was Snapchat. I actually really popped on Snapchat. Oh, cool. And that's what really taught me to talk to camera because that was the first platform that had stories. So they would disappear after 24 hours. So every week I would do this like everything I eat in a day I'm going to post, every single thing I eat or drink. So while I was at the pharmacy those days, I'd be like having a sip of water, having – and people loved it. I could see how many screenshots people were taking. So I was just so invested in my brand and I just wanted it so bad that it wasn't hard, honestly. I'm going to be honest. 
Yeah. And I think that just going back to what both of our parents have said, like, you don't need to find your passion and your happiness, just work. Like when you truly love, it's such a gift to find what you love, right? That took me 10 years of also working different careers to figure it out. And even this podcast, total passion project, been doing it weekly for almost two and a half years. And like, it's a top 100 entrepreneurship podcast. And it's purely just a labor of love, right? And similar to you, it's like, you are genuinely enjoying the content that you're working on, sharing it with people. And I think that is your superpower in building any kind of business, right? Because you have that sustained energy to like push through those years of just going at it. 100%. When you love it, you want to do like, I don't know about you, but I was like, I don't even want to go out on weekends. I was focused. This is what I am. This was more important to me. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even now I'm like building a business and my husband's like, you should go see. I mean, I still see my friends and family and that's like important. But he's like, you should go out and like see people. I'm like, no, I'm in it. Right. I'm in building mode right now. And I think sometimes and he's older and he has a team. So he's in a different phase of his life. But Mm -hmm. luckily, he kind of understands. But I also feel like and I'm curious to get your thoughts, you know, so much of getting something off the ground is just putting in the hours and putting in the work. Do you also agree with that? And I know there's different seasons to our lives and how sometimes you can't push as hard, but how important was that really in the making of your brand? You know, it's really important. I think, of course, we're in an era where we're really respecting, not pushing ourselves too hard in mental health and yeah. taking breaks. And I, I think that's all great too. And I think there is definitely a sense of letting things flow and come to you, but there was so much hard work that I put into it. And it was really just answering every DM and answering people's questions in the comments and creating thoughtful content. And even as I was building my YouTube channel, it's like there's so much effort that goes into every video, seeing what people are interested in and making sure it's something I want to talk about, outlining everything I want to say, getting all the right props for it, making sure that I'm filming, you know, just staying on top of every single week, answering the comments there. So there's so much that goes into it. And for someone to think that it's just going to come easy isn't true. Even these TikTokers, like, look, you might blow up and just go viral really quickly. But if you're actually like really doing it, you're putting in a lot of work creating that content. Yeah. And like on a daily basis and one will hit at that level, right? Right. So you're still putting in the work. Exactly. So you're doing this for a few years. At what point did you realize, okay, I can now do this full time? Was it a financial metric you hit where you're like, okay, once I make this amount, I can now go off on my own? Like when was that aha moment that you can finally do this as a career? So I didn't start making money for about three years. So I was doing both. And I remember I got one really big partnership with the skincare brand. It was really serendipitous because it was a brand that I really loved. It was uh, Sulwasu, which was like, it felt like a very luxury brand and I was really excited. So that was my first big partnership, but it wasn't, I'd say enough. It could have held me over for months, but not a year. And then after that, a friend of a friend actually came to me with creating an online course. They were actually, this was before they were as common, but he had been doing it in Europe and they really understood how to do it. And they were really great partners. I was actually one of their first courses. So I got a really good deal where I was getting like almost, I think I got more percentage than them on what whatever we made for the course. I can't remember oh, at this amazing. point. It was a really good deal for me. So we did the course and it was so successful every time we relaunched it. And that was the point where I was like, okay, I think I can take the leap And right around that time, I'd say like six months after I signed with an agency, I'm not with them anymore. I was with DBA. But when you're with DBA, you can make 
so much because their job is to go out and get you deals all day long. Now, there is a balance to that because you can't just take every deal or else you'll lose your audience. So you have to finesse what's authentic to you. But it was definitely, it felt stable enough for me to actually quit my job and feel comfortable. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful because it's always tough to even leave this career that you're making so much money and taking the leap. It's mm-hmm. still worth it. I always joke like as I got older, I make less and less money, but it's like yes. the happiness is off the charts, right? Yes. <laughs> but so it's funny. like worth it. Once you make over a certain amount, your happiness level doesn't change. You do need to make a certain amount just to live. And I feel like similar to you, I joke that like I work my butt off because I like to do certain things. I like right. to travel. I like to spend money on certain stuff. So that's a motivation as well. Of course. And I think owning that is fine. Like if you like luxurious things, if you like treating yourself a certain way, then you have to work harder. And if you don't, you don't. Like there's nothing wrong with either scenario. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, you've talked about on YouTube also that you were gaining traction. I want to hear a little bit about your journey there because I know you started a few channels. It didn't really resonate until I believe it was your third kind of hit there. So can you talk to us more about it? What really resonated with your community? Oh my God. Thank you for even knowing that. I think the first one I did, so the first time I did it, I was trying to do more of like a sit down desk. Hey guys, it's Dr. Mona and here's your questions for today. And it was, I don't know, it didn't hit at all. Then I stopped doing that. And then I tried doing like vlog style with my friend didn't hit at all. Then I just, I think I gave up after like two or three videos on both styles. I also did one, um, I mean, with the partner that I had at first. And yeah. those were just <laughs> the worst. I mean, so bad. He had, Basically, he'd be like, <laughs> he'd be like, okay, here's facts about vitamin C. And he'd be like, don't give it away in just one video. We got to give part two and three. So like the, the video that you watch wouldn't even give you any info as if like yeah. it would garner more views. <laughs> just a little humor there. But is it still up on your no, channel? No, I actually oh, wanted to find them because yeah. I, I was like, this would be so fun to show now and yeah. I can't find them anymore. They're all deleted, unfortunately. So after I launched or after I had my Instagram channel and I had a good audience on there, my thought process was I need longer videos for people to explain more. And it was really like, I'm going to just go on YouTube and talk about the same stuff I talk about in Snapchat or in stories, but make it five or 10 minutes so I can really explain what I want to say because I had a lot to say and videos would get cut off. I don't remember. I think we only had like 30 seconds or something then on Instagram. I can't remember. Or maybe a minute. I'm not sure. So that's when I created the YouTube channel for that. And I would say the first one or two videos didn't really hit, but the third or fourth, I think it got to like 5,000. I was like, okay. And then it went to like 10 or 15,000 and it just kind of went up from there. Honestly, like I grew so organically over the next three years. I never did any ads. It was the platform that I I guess worked the best naturally for me. Got it. And was it, do you think you really, and I know you touched upon this in another interview, but it was really the first time you were authentic to who you were, right? In those, I think, was it like a Q&A style or maybe that was one of the few things you did? I don't remember. I'm not sure which interview. I can't remember. But I would say I don't know if it's just YouTube in general. I felt like I'm an over-explainer. I like talking. I like explaining. And I think that I was in the Instagram culture where it was just like a pic and it was my high flash camera and edited photos and this perfect me looking at a salad smiling or me looking at a smoothie. Even though my captions were smart, I guess, and valuable, it's so hard to really get the essence of someone's energy and what they have to say and like how thoughtful are they and how much value can you get from it in a video. So I think video just really captured a different kind of audience. 
Yeah, especially like you were saying, talking about anything health related, there's only so much you can convey in like 60 seconds, right? Exactly. It's not a value add. And you don't know if people are just Googling it or copying and pasting. Like you can't really get someone's person yeah. or someone else writing their captions. So I think when you're really True. watching someone speak and listening to them and it's so like in the energy and their essence, you can vibe with certain people or not. You know, there's so many people who don't like me, but a lot of people that do. So it just depends on what you connect with. Yeah. And it seems very genuine when you speak with your content, which I think is so key. You can tell when some people are a little bit forced. So yes. just tapping into who you are as a person, what you enjoy talking about, it really resonates with other people. And I think you just do a good example of that. Thank you. So and one question I actually have, I want to talk about perfectionism, You know, something mm -hmm. we all deal with. I never realized how bad my perfectionism was until I started the podcast. So it's been a fun growth journey. Just, you know, you see yourself on camera, you're putting a content of work out there. It's very different when you're putting content out than not from my, at least my own personal perspective. Have you ever dealt with this and how have you kind of overcome those demons that we all have about what we look like and how this is in a camera and whatnot? I'd say I'm still pushing, trying to push past it. It's yeah. so ingrained in me to be a perfectionist. And I don't know if it's our Persian culture where it's don't tell anyone that. Don't Were your parents like that? What is that? I'm yes, like, Mona. Because then yes. it makes you feel shame and like like something's yes. wrong yes. with you. And I'm like, why can't I talk about our divorce? Or why can't I say, you know, my mom, she loves to get involved now with my content. And she'll be like, I'll be filming something. She said, like, clean the table first. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's fine. It's all okay. Like this is a normal kitchen table. So I don't know if that was ingrained in me or what. I've always been very, very aware of my looks and like, is this little eyelash perfect? And I think that I've definitely grown from in terms of content where I refuse to edit a photo now. And I push myself even I'm like, oh, you can see a little cellulite in this pic, but I'm going to post it anyway because it's normal. So I wouldn't say I'm the girl who's going to show like the worst angles of myself and be, <laughs> and be good with it. But every day I try to step yeah. more towards normalcy, you know? It's yeah. hard. <laughs> no, totally. I was looking at, I'm laughing because I was looking at clips that we pulled together for another podcast we have. And my hair was like abnormally flat. And there's yeah. like only so much I can do to get ready when I'm like running a business full time and just like popping on these podcasts. And of course. I was like, you know what? I'm still going to like put it out there, even though I, I notice all these details. But I'm also laughing because I don't know if it's a Persian thing. I remember growing up, my mom always had makeup on. And I remember she dropped me off at a friend's house. And I'm like, mom, like, can you hurry up? Like, we're just going down the street. She's like, no, I got to put my makeup on. If something happens in the car and I have to like get out, I'm like, mom, nothing's going to happen, you know? So it's just funny how kind of being raised in that of like what you look like. You is know, what's interesting is most Persians, I would say, are like that. If I had to generalize, my mom is not at all. Oh, interesting. I would say my aunt is more or like my uncle's wives are more, but my mom isn't. So I don't even know where I got it from. It must be just that energetic Persian culture I got yeah. in a different way because my mom's more like, oh, you're fine. And I'm the opposite. Or I'm like, no, 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 I need to look perfect before I run out the door. Yeah. No. And it's funny also what you were saying in terms of sharing too much. I did an interview on my podcast about my journey. I've been like sitting back on it for a while, but listeners are like, tell me more about you. And I finally did it. And my husband interviewed me. My parents are also divorced. And I haven't really talked too much about my story. And right when we ended, I was like, oh, shit, I hope my mom, I hope they're going to be okay with me yes. just sharing stuff. And it was just an automatic thought that came to my head. It ended up being fine. Yep. But it's always like, don't share. Don't do this. And I'm don't such a anyone. share. And I th and the message it tells you is that don't tell anyone because it's bad. And that really messes with you. 
thinking you have something to hide. So I think it's really important to just, I try to get my mom, I'm like, mom, if they think this, who cares? She's like, yeah, yeah, true. When you really break it down, I'm like, what does it matter? How's that going to affect your life? Totally. And I think both of us came out just okay from divorced families, right? Exactly. Like, I think you, we're pretty good. I think we're fine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Agree. You know, it's funny. I was at a family friend's Persian party. I haven't gone to one in a long time. It was actually this past weekend. And they were like, what do you guys do? And I happened to be next to like a doctor, a dentist. I'm an entrepreneur now. And I was like, oh God, it's now my turn. You know, like, what yes. am I going to say? But I'm curious, what, how do you explain what you do in those situations in these like more traditional Persian environments? And they're meaning the best. They just don't know any better in terms of, of course. Like, I mean, even Korean. in social settings, people ask, what do you do? I mean, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> when we're like around Persian family, they still tell everyone like, I'm a pharmacist. So she's a doctor. Yeah. And yeah. that's not, I mean, and yes, I got my doctorate, but that's not even what I do anymore. And I haven't for years. So that yeah. I would say that's usually what's said. Whereas in other settings, it's always a little hard to be like, oh, I'm, I have a platform online yeah. where I share content and I partner with different brands. And I just try to, it's usually an explanation versus just a simple answer. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like you touch so many different things. Yeah. And it's like, once I open the can, it's just there's so much to talk about that what you do. So it's just, yeah, I am trying funny. to, I feel like the word influencer has gotten this like negative connotation when look, there are some influencers that are, aren't authentic. And you know, there's good and bad with everything. But it's hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And if it's that easy, everyone would be making money doing it. So I, I'm trying to also rebrand the word as being positive in my head. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of either. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And literally, my husband was saying the same thing when I was saying like entrepreneur or, or whatever. He's like, just own it. It's be who you are. And it's he's saying the right thing. And even as an influencer, because you're yep. right. I mean, I am not an influencer. I mean, I have this podcast, so it's pushing me to kind of just put content out there naturally. Right. But it is not easy. It's so actually, not. let's talk about this because I think a lot of people don't understand what actually goes behind all of this, right? So tell me a little bit more about your life because it's not just these beautiful videos and posts that you do. There's so much more that goes behind it. There's so much more. I think, well, you are your creative director, producer, editor, writer. There's just so much that goes into it, I, especially if you are really trying to have meaningful content. Sometimes low-key, I'm like envious of just the really cute girls on TikTok who just post like cute videos. And yeah, you know, I'm like, you know, that would be so easy, but it's not easy. But they just really know how to do even them respect because they know the right little angle and lighting and whatever to do. It's not just them turning on a camera. For me, every week when I'm like, just living life, everything I do, I'm like, oh, this would be a good thing to share. This would be, I draw inspiration from how I'm just living my life. And then on yeah. top of that, when I'm actually filming a YouTube video or filming in like a longer reel or even a TikTok, a 30 second video, there's a lot of strategy that goes into getting what you have to say out quickly, making sure it grabs them in the first three seconds, but also I don't want it to be so corny and salesy. Exactly. You know, so I'm yeah. like, how can I say this? quickly in the first three seconds, but also have it feel authentic to me. And yeah. a lot of times that first three second grab, people will use fear base where it's like, if you don't do this, you're and I'm like, I don't want to be in that game. And honestly, a couple of years ago, I used to do that too, because I didn't, I just wasn't thinking. I was like, okay, this is yeah. going to grab attention, then I'll explain it. And I don't want to fear people into health. I'm really, really big on that because I think it just makes people triggered and stressed. 
So there's just a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into it. And then even fashion, if you're trying to get into the fashion world, it's not just about what you're wearing. It's how it photographs. There's like two different sides to it. So it's getting the right angle of it, sharing it in a relatable way, maybe finding affordable options for people. There's just a lot of work that goes into actually being a content creator where people get value from your content. And there's so much that goes into it. So how far in advance do you kind of set up the pipeline of content for your different platforms? So YouTube, I've taken a good, like over a year break on YouTube. I'm just about, (laughs) I'm just about to relaunch it. I took a break on social and YouTube and everything. And I was feeling a little fatigued with YouTube and I felt like my content was getting monotonous. So now I'm excited to come back. I have a new, fresh energy. But I would film YouTube maybe once a month or once every six weeks and I would batch content where I would do like four videos each time I film, sometimes five, sometimes three, depending on how long. And depending on how far ahead I was, I always loved to be like four to six weeks ahead on YouTube so that I didn't have to stress about getting something out. So that's always a little bit more thoughtful. Instagram too, I like to have batched content. So I think about, I have one day where I'm just filming, let's say, We're going to do some lifestyle videos, some sitting down talking videos, and I plan it out and I know that I'm doing it. And then the rest of the time, it's just when I'm out and about and something spontaneous happens in the moment, I film it. And then there's still the process of gathering all of that, getting it to my editor. We have calls. I'm like, here's my vision for this clip. We have like a full shared album. So there's all different facets to it in terms of like some is just in the moment and some of it's very planned. Yeah. And I also think people don't realize the team behind it, especially when you're producing that much content. Mm -hmm. So who are the players kind of behind the scenes that help support you? So right now I have someone that helps me run my TikTok. I've worked with her for a couple years on and off. And she it's I really think TikTok editors are a different breed than like YouTube or Instagram. I mean, yes, some Instagram content can go on TikTok, but TikTok has its own culture. And she's just young. She's Gen Z. She really, she's smart. So she gets the culture. And I really like, she has really good feedback because like, if I want to put something out, she'll be like, I don't think you should do that. Like she has an opinion, but also I like I get final say. So I like that she cares enough to give me her opinion on everything. Yeah. So I have that. And then in terms of YouTube, I have a fully separate videographer, editor. When I first launched YouTube, I was trying to do it myself. Yeah. Bought a camera. I was like, this is fine. And then I'll send it to an editor. Absolutely not. Honestly, know your strengths. For me, it was worth paying someone to do it because I wouldn't have done it. And then it ended up making me money. So it's sometimes you have to invest a little bit and know yourself. I was not going to sit for eight hours and let it upload. I just didn't have it in me and I didn't have that tech savviness in me. So I would say an editor and videographer there. And then I have an admin just for my day-to-day scheduling and scheduling shoots and getting all the right props and making sure everyone's set up. I love how you just mentioned sometimes spending a little bit of money just to kind of open that like mental load. Because even if you're like, oh God, I got to edit this. Like I used to edit my podcast early on. I'm a little too good at it now, but I've outsourced it for years Yeah. now. But I remember just being like, oh, I got to get to this again. And it doesn't make the process of creating content exciting. And I think mm-hmm. that's helpful to take that risk, invest in it, pay someone just for the project. It's not like you're committing to like someone full-time early on. Exactly. So it's pretty life-changing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're way better at me. And they're so much faster. Like way why better did I not faster. do this earlier? And you can yeah. find people like the person who first edited my YouTube, I remember put, posting on Instagram. He yeah. was editing, I think like $400 a month for four videos. I mean, he gave me such a good deal 
That's awesome. You know, and he really wanted to be able to use my stuff to show other people how he grew exactly. my channel. So it was a really, it was like almost like a collaborative thing. So you can find people that are willing yeah. to help you out when you're just starting. You don't have to go for like the biggest and best. 100%. And I'll just throw in, I use this website called Upwork. And you can like go through and see all these freelancers across the board. And mm. I have always found through trial and error, it takes like hustle and making sure you find the right person. The best people similar to you, they're like young, they're wanting to grow, they're willing to work with you. So yep. it takes time and you don't have to spend an arm and a leg. So I agree with that. And one thing you mentioned a bit earlier was how you took a year off of social media. So I want to talk more about this. What really pushed you to make that decision? I just felt like I was in this rat race of content. I didn't feel inspired. I felt like my energy towards it was, okay, what's going to get the most engagement? And it almost got to a point where it was even the wellness content. I just felt like I was like, okay, what's new and upcoming? Let me learn about it and share it versus like, oh, this is what I'm naturally doing in my life and let me just share it in an organic way. And I think it was me. I was sick of turning on this kind of like hosty energy, which is fun sometimes. Like even right now I have a series I'm doing where it's more almost feels like a television show. And I can turn it on and it's fun. But then in my day-to-day, -day, I don't want to always do that. And there was just a myriad of things where I felt like I just needed a minute. And I was so scared that like if I took any time off, it everyone would forget about me and like I wouldn't – brands wouldn't want to work with me. I decided to just go for it. I don't know. And it was – honestly, those two months that I first did it, it was so refreshing where I felt like I just had a minute to breathe. And then it just really extended where every time I wanted to go back, I just wasn't ready. And I think I had just been working so hard since I was 18, right to pharmacy school for six years, directly into working in pharmacy for years and directly into – and I just literally had never had a break in all those years. And I just felt like, okay, I'm in a position now where I can take a little bit of time off. Let me just explore this. And it was the best thing ever. I just feel like I came back in such an authentic way. And I was afraid, like, how am I going to – and honestly, I thought it was going to be the biggest deal ever when I came back, and it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It's really not that big of a deal, I swear. <laughs> like, if you spent years building a community, yeah. they're not going to all just disappear. Yeah. You know? I'm laughing because I never used to do reruns for my podcast. I used to, like, kill myself. Like, okay, no, we got to get new content. And it was at one point I just, like, was like, I can't turn around something this fast. We'll do a rerun. And my husband's like, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't. Nobody's thinking, like you are thinking about yourself. Like no one's really thinking about you, right? Half the time. And they might be like, oh, okay, I'll just wait till next week. Cool. Yeah. You know, they're not going to be like, unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because you initially, I think, wanted to only take like a few months, right? Yeah. And you said it, it turned into that. I feel like when you're pushing yourself for so many years, it takes two to three months to even unwind because you're, yes. you're so used to going, right? So used to going. And I just... I also started questioning everything. I was like, do I even like social media? Is this even what I want to do? I was literally almost like a, a reset of maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I hate it. Maybe it's stressful. And then I, I'm so glad that I got back to a place where I'm like, no, now I really want to share and I'm excited again. But I really went there. Yeah. And I'm curious because you were just walking through your day-to-day -day and how much content you you do and how it's part of your daily life, right? Are you taking pictures and whatnot? How have you managed it now that you're in this new phase of building content and not feeling burnout? Because even that seems all-encompassing. So do you have certain boundaries that you have now versus before? 
I do. I have. So when I came back, I had really strict boundaries and I was sticking to them. And every once in a while, I see myself kind of slipping and I'm like, no, 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 don't because it's not worth it. So some of my boundaries are not going on my phone for work before nine or 10, honestly, usually. Nine depends. Sometimes if I have to have an early shoot, I will. And after 8, 8.30, and I've been slipping up a little bit where I've still been texting. I don't even like to text on my phone after 8.30. I just want mm-hmm. the frequency, the blue light. I want to just chill. So that's one of my boundaries. I also just don't want to push myself so hard if I'm going to be exhausted. Like I need to give myself that room to breathe. And I also, I don't know, are you into human design? Yes, yes. So Jenna is actually a friend of mine. I don't know if you've seen her at My Human Design. She's done a I lot have, of- no. I It's have really it. cool, but we talked about it and she was like, oh, you're human design. You can't work that many hours in a day. You need a few hours and you need time to yourself. You don't thrive in chaos. You thrive in a calm environment. And it's so funny because some of my, one of my best friends is like, I thrive in chaos. So, you know, everyone's different. And I'm just like embracing those parts of myself and being like, I don't need to be that person that just, you know, you're like, I'm going to be this girl boss and I'm going to like do everything. And that's just not me. I'm going to work. And I think, and I honestly think more will come to me when I embrace my own energy and let things just flow versus trying to force it. I love this because this is a huge revelation also in my life, especially early in my business. We launched about a year and a half ago. I felt like my finance days were coming back in terms of, all right, we got to hit these numbers, hit these number of customers. And I kind of got back to like, I'm not feeling excited about building. And similar to what you're saying, I think so much of this energetically impacts what you're bringing to this world. And I, I met a coach and she just mentioned what you know you were saying in terms of really creating that abundance mindset and energetically, let me see if I can say this correctly, your energy basically exudes what you want to create in your world, right? So if my energy is scarcity mindset in terms of like, let's go, 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 can we get this customer or whatnot versus like, we're building something great, we're doing the hard work and things will come when it's supposed to. That doesn't yes. mean you're like chilling, right? And laying on your bed or whatnot. But she mentioned that one, we had a few sessions and it truly shifted my perspective. And I'm like, I'm doing this because I want to make an impact. And you can still build and similar to you know your journey, you can still build a successful business, not killing yourself and taking care of yourself because that is your superpower to show up even better every day, right? Exactly. And like what's sometimes I'm like, why am I in this? I'm working on a project right now that's going to take me a little bit of time. And I'm like, why do I have to have it come out in five months? I'm like, maybe it will take a year. That's okay. This is a long game. You know, exactly. maybe that's ego. Who knows? But exactly doing it the right way and not over pushing yourself. Yeah. And you mentioned like the power of surrendering and putting in the effort, but not pushing too hard. Yes. That should be everyone's motto in life, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, totally. And one thing I realized also the power of sleep. I oh. never used to take it seriously. And now it's like my religion. Me I don't too. mess around with sleep because I feel like it just allows me to be more resilient and just to show up. But yeah, tell me more about like how sleep is important to you because I also know you take it quite seriously. And I think more people should. I never used to. I would pride myself on only needing like six hours of sleep. And COVID actually helped that because, you know, we were going to bed earlier and we had more time. And I realized how great it was to get eight hours. And now I really, really try to prioritize. And I used to always be the type where if I woke up past like seven, I was like, I'm a degenerate. I would feel so guilty the whole day. And now I'm like, if I go to bed late, I'm going to sleep 
as late as I can and then work late. And look, now that I work for myself, I have the privilege to do that. I know that's a privileged place to be in. But I have worked a regular nine to five, so I understand both sides and I've did it for years. I really, really try to get sleep when I can because I just think I'm a better version of myself. And I like that I have that flexibility to, okay, I'm going to start working at 1030 and work till eight today or whatever I have to do. Exactly. And you're just like in a better mood. But for so long, I was like, I don't need eight hours. And I was wearing, I got an aura ring. Mm-hmm. And that was game changing for me. I always tell people like, if you can wear it for a month or two, it basically tracks your sleep cycle, right? And tells yep. you how much you need. And anytime I get eight hours, I'm like, I'm on fire right now. I wish I knew this earlier in my life. I would have slept more. But really, these like simple things yeah. make such a difference. I have the and eight sleep. I don't know if you've heard of that, the new mat. That's like life the changing. life changing because that kind of tells you yeah. what the aura ring tells you too. Yeah. <laughs> Is it as accurate? I haven't used the stats. I just do I don't it know. The- I haven't tried. I'm not sure if it's as accurate. Probably not as accurate, but it's still pretty cool. I know. I mean, we'll geek out on wellness stuff. I know. But it's yeah. if people don't know eight sleep, it basically is, I mean, I'm sure you can explain better, like a cooling pad on your bed, right? On your and- mattress. Yeah. You can either buy the mattress or the pad. I just have the pad. Yeah. And it's life-changing. Literally, me and my yes. husband have better sleep and you can kind of temperature control both yep. sides. And he yep. like runs so hot, literally like a furnace. So it's been <laughs> yes. life-changing for our sleep. So yes. I love that. I love that. Well, Mona, I want to close on one last question with my time with you. So through your success, you've shown just so many people, especially women, that there is a different career path that you can take. What has that meant to you? And what else do you want to remind women that they're capable of? You know, I just think really owning what you want to do. I I do think that we're in an interesting time where women are expected to do it all, where it's like you can have a full-time career and be a, a mom and be this boss and I can do anything a man can do. And I I love that we have the opportunity to do that. I think that's so important. But I also think that you shouldn't feel bad if you don't want to do all those things because just being a mom, like a, that's the most important job in the world. You know, you're raising a human. So if that's what you're doing, don't feel shamed or embarrassed or less than to someone who's starting their own business or having a career. I think everyone's fulfilled by different things. I even remember my roommates in pharmacy school when I was doing this, she was like, I love that I get to go into Walgreens and clock in and out and I'm done. I don't have to think about it. And I was like, I hate having to go in anywhere and clock in and out. And I love that I can be at home, but I'm working seven days a week. So know yourself and know what you want to do. And on the other hand, if you don't know if you want to be a mom and you really just want to focus on your career, that's okay too. I think there's also shaming in that direction. You know, I have one of my friends who really doesn't know if she wants kids, but she really likes her career. So I just think telling women to own whatever it is, your femininity, whatever makes you feel the most powerful and strong and going with it. I love that, Mona. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I could talk to you for hours, but this was beautiful. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.